Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm back. It's Bethan. Woo! At last. It's so good to have you back. Um, Yeah, totally. Of course I have. Yeah, Uh it's it's just such a different dynamic doing it on your own, as Mm -hmm. they say. Um, (laughs) You can't really have any banter with yourself, no swearing. And we quite often like to discuss the case and the theories. And you can't really do that as well. You've not got somebody to bounce the ideas off yeah uh, again so yeah I'm really really glad that we're back together it is weird I, I did a couple of patron episodes on my own and I found myself saying to the listeners I feel like Mark would have said such and such at this point and it's so weird so yeah it, is, it's, yeah. It's great it doesn't feel right together. it doesn't feel right to us no I think because so, we've always done it together so oh yeah Oh, cheeky. Um, so happy new year to new year, all everybody. of our listeners. Yeah, it's 2020. 2020. Uh, first episode of 2020 for us. Mm-hmm. And we are back together, as we said. So yeah, it's thank all- you for joining us. This is my returning episode. And so I decided to take inspiration from something that you posted on social media when I was away. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. We had reached number eight for true crime podcasts in the Czech Republic. Yes, we did. I remember. So, this week, I'm going to be telling you all about Victor Kalavoda. Good pronunciation. Thank you. It will get worse. (laughs) Good. I look forward to it. The case is set in Prague and in a town called Nedgagitsa, which is in the Czech Republic. And before we start, I wanted to say a massive thank you to Jane Johnston from the podcast Vancouver Island Time, who got in touch with a friend of hers called Eva, and Eva sent me a really, really helpful email with voice notes, helping me with the pronunciation of some of the words in this story. So I really, really hope that I do her justice and I get these correct. Although if you're listening in the Czech Republic and I get it wrong, I apologise, but let me know. So because I'm sure everyone's really missed me doing my Google Maps and my info fact sheets, I looked into the country in general. It's not somewhere that I really knew about before, so it was really good to kind of find out some information about the Czech Republic. So it's a country in Central Europe which is bordered by Germany, Austria, Slovakia and Poland. It has a really interesting history being the core of the first Czechoslovak Republic, which was formed in 1918 following the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire after World War I. It was an industrial powerhouse, and at this point in 1918 it became the independent republic of Czechoslovakia. Between World War I and World War II, the country was the only democracy in Central Europe, but in World War II, parts of the country were occupied by Germany and the Slovak region became what is known as a German puppet state, which is where the country technically governs itself. However, a foreign power is actually in control. Czechoslovakia was liberated in 1945 by the Soviet Union and the United States, and most of the German-speaking minority were expelled following the Second World War. In November 1989, Czechoslovakia returned to a liberal democracy following a peaceful revolution called the Velvet Revolution, and on the 1st of January 1993, Czechoslovakia peacefully dissolved, at which point it became two independent states, Slovakia and the Czech Republic, which is where our case is set today. The Czech Republic is a developed country with an advanced high-income economy. They have universal health care and tuition for university education. Prague is the capital of and is the largest city in the Czech Republic. It is home to about 1.3 million people 
and in 2016 it was ranked sixth in the TripAdvisor World List of Best Destinations. Wow, I need to go there. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, my knowledge of Prague is... It pretty much extends to the stories I've heard about stag do's my other half has been on. Ah, okay, yeah. It's a very, very popular place for stag do's, for sure. It really is. But it also has a rich cultural pull for tourists as well. In 2017, Prague was listed as the fifth most visited European city after London, Paris, Rome and Istanbul. It has more than 10 major museums, along with numerous theatres, galleries, cinemas and other historical exhibits. And then the other area that we're going to discuss in this case is a place called Nedgagitsa, which is a market town roughly 100 miles southeast of the capital. It is a small town that is only about 2.53 square miles and it had a population of 1,300 people in 2007. God, that is a small town. It really is. And the reason I've highlighted how small it is will come become a bit more apparent later oh, on. Oh, okay. So not only is this our first case set in the Czech Republic, but it's also my first foray away from the UK, I'm pretty sure. I was just going to say, I'm proud of you. Well done. Thank you. After, I don't know, many months of lobbying for us to <laughs> go global, you've finally done it. I've joined in and I have not given myself an easy task because... Not with my... these pronunciations. Nope. And my research was using translated newspaper reports. Oh, God. Okay. So I really hope that I've understood the translations and the translations have been correct as well. Because if I have got any facts wrong or if the facts are slightly off... Um, it's potentially that I've misunderstood or that the translations are wrong. So if you are listening in the Czech Republic and you spot something, let me know because I'd be really interested to find out about that. But hopefully, from doing my research and looking at loads of different sources, we should have a pretty decent episode here. So before we start looking at Victor Kalavoda, um, I'm going to tell you a bit about a woman called Olga Hepranova, who actually inspired Victor. She is one of the most famous Czech murderers. In her teens, Olga developed psychiatric problems and attempted suicide. She spent about a year in a psychiatric ward in hospital. And as a young adult, she became obsessed with feelings of hatred for both her family and the wider society as a whole. According to several sources, she was reported to have heard voices. And as an adult, she worked in a variety of places, but she was usually fired shortly after she was hired. Eventually, she ended up working as a truck driver, and by the 1970s, she'd reportedly been planning her revenge against society in her head for a long time. In July 1970, she sent a warning letter to two newspapers explaining her actions as revenge for the hatred that she felt was directed against her by her family and the world. The letters... Sorry, sorry, I just don't don't understand that, though, this kind of... Um, retribution against society what has society done to her and the whole world well hated her but i I don't know yeah i mean she's obviously (laughs) mentally ill isn't she this is it yeah so her letters that she sent to the newspapers included the following bits ladies and gentlemen it is not just a letter it is my declaration i'm writing it as i do want you to appreciate what i am going to do i do not want you to doubt about my sanity I'm going to steal a bus today and run into a crowd of people at full speed. It will happen somewhere in Prague 7. I intend to kill people. I know I will be on trial and punished. 
It would be easy to leave this world as an unknown self-murderer. The society is too pushy and it is too difficult to judge. Here is my judgment. I, Olga Hepnavaro... Fuck's sake. (laughs) We should keep that in. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Here is my judgment. I, Olga Hepnavaro... Fucking can't say it now, can I? (laughs) Here is my judgment. I, Olga Hepnarova, the victim of your beastliness, sentence you to death by running over. And on the 10th of July, 1973, Olga drove her truck into a group of about 25 people who were waiting for a tram in the Prague 7 district. Three people died immediately. Three more people died later that same day. And two people died within a few days. 12 people were also injured. The letters to the newspapers were received two days after the attack. And during the police investigation, Olga made it clear that her intention was to kill as many people as possible. She had put a lot of thought into the attack, factoring in a slope that would allow her to gain the most speed. And she had actually thought about an initial attack, but didn't think there were enough people there to kill, so she regrouped and went for the second time. So she really meant business. Mm Mm-hmm. This second attack was the one where she killed eight people and experts found her fully aware of her actions. In her statement, she said, there were no trams, no cars, nothing was in my way. I said to myself, that was the right time to do it. I drove onto the pavement, I went on and ran into the crowd of people, knocking them down. On remand, she was examined by prison psychologists who were not able to diagnose her as legally insane. And so she came to trial in 1974 at the Municipal Court in Prague. She was represented by an experienced lawyer but refused to cooperate with him and she tried to make speeches throughout the trial. One of the speeches accused society, saying if the society destroys individuals, individuals can destroy the society. She also said at one point, I wanted to take my revenge on the society, including my family, because they are my enemy. And also... Knowing that I managed to do it, I felt a kind of release and satisfaction. On April the 6th, 1974, she was found guilty of all eight murders and sentenced to death by hanging by the city court. This sentence was affirmed by higher instance courts and the Supreme Court requalified the sentence to public endangerment with the same punishment to be upheld. Her mum did try and appeal to the Czech Supreme Court, but this was rejected. And on March the 3rd, 1975, the Prime Minister refused to grant her a pardon. I'm unsurprised by that. I was just going to say, why would you grant her a pardon in any circumstances? Yeah. Based on what she's done? Mm-hmm. I think because they were trying to say that she was insane and actually the courts were able to find that she knew what she was doing and she just had no remorse for it. She was saying, I'm, I'm f- absolutely fine. Yeah. I knew what I was it's doing. Al- it's almost like her whole life had been building up to that, that I event. I think so, yeah, exactly. The execution was fixed for March the 12th, which was nine days later. And interviewed in prison, Olga told reporters that I am not afraid of the death sentence, I do accept it. But despite this, when the time came, she was reportedly very afraid of dying and she became hysterical, begged for her life and lost control of her bodily functions as she was dragged kicking and screaming to the gallows. Oh my God, that's horrific. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, we've talked about capital punishment loads before yeah. on this show, and we, you know, we've all got opinions on it. But for me, it's just barbaric. Mm. Even with what she did, what she was responsible for, I don't know. I just that moment of absolute fear and panic, knowing that you're going to be put to death. 
I don't think anybody should have to go through that. The hangman who actually executed her went on to say that the experience had really traumatised him and he'd become totally disgusted with his job. I'm not surprised. So Olga was executed by short drop hanging on the 12th of March 1975 at Pankrat, which is Pankrat Prison in Prague. She was one of the last people sentenced to death by the use of short drop hanging and was the last woman executed in Czechoslovakia. So this woman and her crimes inspired today's case, Victor Kalavoda. And I'm guessing because she was the last woman to be executed in in the Czech Republic, this would have been a very well-known, well-documented case that, you know, a bit like Ruth Ellis in the UK. Exactly. Because she was the last person to be executed, the last woman to be executed here. Mm-hmm. We all know that name. We all know what she was responsible for. Yeah, and so there's been books and there's been films about her and she's kind of known as one of the most famous murderers. So Victor Kalavoda came from a wealthy family. He was an intelligent, well-educated man, and his IQ was close to 130 points. According to his classmates, he was quiet and a bit of a loner. He got a personal computer first out of all the students in his class, and so he spent his time either alone on his computer or reading detective novels. Despite being one of the best pupils at school, he then went on and just did the bare minimum. He didn't complete either of his two university courses that he studied. And as an adult, he flitted from job to job, working as a policeman for a while and driving a tram too. And I have read that his dream was to become a driver, but that never happened. And so my understanding of what I've read about Victor is that he was generally just unemployed. The work as a policeman as well was I couldn't quite work out whether he was actually working as a policeman or if he was doing the training to become a policeman. Um, Either way, he he didn't stick with that either. It's interesting that he looked at going into that field, though, Mm -hmm. um, as somebody who possibly had criminal ideas even at that time. And and we do see that a lot. And in, in fact... The case that I'll be covering next week is about a police <gasps> officer. Spoiler alert. I know, a police inspector mm-hmm. who uh, murdered his wife. So, yeah, yeah you know, it's a really interesting uh, subject, I think. I think so. So, Victor lived in Slani, which is a town near to Prague, and it's classed as part of the Prague metropolitan area. Over time, Victor's dark thoughts got greater, and he suffered with what has been described as quite intensive psychological problems. At first he was plagued with thoughts of suicide and he also would self-harm in an attempt to relieve some of the tension that he felt. So he would often be found standing on Nuselsky Most, which is Nusla Bridge in Prague, with the intention of jumping and I believe he did that on numerous occasions, but I don't know for definite how many times. He never quite managed to go through with jumping and committing suicide. Nusla Bridge, as I'm going to call it in the English translation, has the nickname Suicide Bridge because a total of 200 to 300 people have been recorded to have taken their own life from jumping from that bridge. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. So the original safety railing was a metre high, um, which is obviously quite easy for people to jump over. Um, in 1990, they put a 1.5 metre wide net underneath the railing 
1996, sort of between 96 and 97, further fencing was added, which heightened the barrier to 2.7 metres. And then in 2007, fencing on Noosler Bridge was topped off with a three-foot-wide strip of polished metal to kind of make it impossible to climb. I was going to say, God, they've really gone all out to stop people committing suicide there. Absolutely. Every time that they've done something, they've had to go a step further. Since 2011, there's um, like a memorial to the people who took their own lives at that bridge in the park below. And it's a monument called Of One's Own Volition. And it's by an artist called Christophe Quintera. So it's quite nice that they really wanted to commemorate those people and and kind of look have something that maybe their loved ones can go and look at. So when Victor, who was a passionate detective fiction reader, read the book Noose for Eight Dead, he realised where he was going wrong. And this book documents the story of Olga Hepnerova, and this kind of spoke to him, so he realised he shouldn't be trying to kill himself. Instead, he should be killing other people. And he later okay. said, yep, I felt like she wanted me to continue with what she did. I took it as a task. So Victor wanted to start executing people. And he decided he was going to execute people on the Prague Metro. He needed to get some practice in, so he went to the shooting range and his weapon of choice was a Glock 34. He then realised he needed to have a go on something living. And in 2004, he shot two cows in the head. The horrified farmer reported this matter to the police, but they didn't really have any leads to go on and never found the culprit. Nothing came of it until much later when the farmer realised perhaps what had actually happened. God, that's so disturbing, isn't it? I don't Mm -hmm. know why, because I eat meat, I eat beef, um, but for someone to actually brutally kill a cow or two cows in that way is just weird, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't know if it's because we're obviously obsessed with true crime, but if I was that farmer and I'd seen that somebody had used a handgun to shoot two of my cattle, my first thought would be that that person is practising and they will be shooting a human being at some point. Yeah. So also in 2004, the want-to-be-a-millionaire competition was at the peak of its popularity. Do you mean who wants to be a millionaire? Well, it is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but the Czech Republic's version, Want to Be a Millionaire competition. Okay. Yeah. Love it. How much fun is that? Guess who went on the show? Me. No. Victor. You, Victor. And what's really chilling is this episode is actually available for you to watch online. You can find it really easily. And you can see stony-faced Victor taking part in the competition. At one point, he waves at the camera, and it is so crazy to know that at the time that he's on TV waving to the camera, he was also planning to kill people. That's weird, isn't it? It's so crazy. That reminds me of the... um, I think Paul at the True Crime Enthusiast covered it, um, the Bullseye Killer, so a guy that had appeared on the game show Bullseye, and I think he'd already killed someone at that point, Mm -hmm. and then he's just on this game show, which was a really popular game show back in the day, would have probably had 15 million viewers parading around like nothing had happened yeah that's the thing so this also kind of reminded me of Rodney Alcala who was a serial killer and he was a serial killer and he went on the game show the dating game and so you're watching this man win a date with a woman knowing that he's murdering women 
That's horrific. She didn't go on a date with him because she was felt so creeped out by him. Oh and my god, that says it all, doesn't it? Later, to find out that he was a serial killer. Oh. I wonder if he'd gone on that show with the intention of actually finding another woman to kill. Yeah, I don't know. Can you imagine? So, Victor told the presenter, Martin Priest, that he enjoyed board games. And I thought I'd ask you the same first question to see whether you would have got it right. Ooh, okay. Okay, so it's a saying from the Czech Republic. So, when the bird catches, he nicely what? Your options are A, sway, B, sleep, C, sing, or D, applaud. So, when the bird catches, he nicely sings correct hey wow well done victor also chose c correctly and i have no idea what that phrase means but there we go but then we probably have a load of phrases in this country that are just bollocks oh definitely and they wouldn't translate properly either would they no not at all a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush yeah i mean what the fuck yeah So the episode continues and Victor has actually been ranked among one of the more successful participants of Want to Be a Millionaire competition. He won 320,000 crowns. So he didn't make it all the way, but he got really, really far. And he's kind of stuck in Czech memory for many spectators, apparently, due to the fact that he had quite a mysterious appearance. He didn't say much. He kind of smiled slightly, but generally he's really serious. And I know that when you look back and you know what someone's done you perhaps will have those ideas about them but I can confirm this because the other competitors are all cheerful I have no idea what anyone's saying because I don't speak the language Mm. but he's so serious and maybe there was quite a lot riding on it for him though because I suppose ultimately if he was unemployed Mm -hmm. he probably needed that money and that might sustain him for a number of years of unemployment so I don't know but obviously the fact that he's a killer wouldn't have helped. No. This reminds me, actually, of... um, Do you remember in this country there was the guy that was caught cheating on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, like, 20 years ago? Yeah, he was coughing. The coughing guy. Yeah. And I think he'd barely got out of the studio before they'd stopped the check and called the police, I think. So, um, Oh, yeah, totally. But that would be a great case for us to cover. Shall I cover that? And then from now on, only cover cases that involve who wants to be a millionaire. Oh my God, that's an amazing idea. Do it. it. (laughs) And then we'll end the show in like two weeks. Yeah, you'll just have to carry the show from now on because I don't know how many more countries are going to have a murderer or a cheater in the same I I don't think it's going to work, is it? So back to Victor, who had been practicing on his cows and winning money in want to be a millionaire competition. He had now felt like he was ready to go out and kill. So his plan was to take his gun onto the metro line, sit on a train and kill strangers. He identified a part of the line which was on a long stretch of the sea line and apparently this part wasn't swinging, which I'm assuming means the train was steady so Victor wouldn't have to keep his gun steady. This could be a mistranslation, I'm I'm not really sure, but every news report said that the part of the line wasn't swinging. I wonder if it means it's just almost like a bit of a straight stretch of track. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not bending. Yeah, something that means that he can just sit there with his gun pointing and not have to worry about it. Yeah. He would sit there with his gun prepped, hidden behind a newspaper, plotting who he would shoot, but he could not bring himself to pull the trigger. I just couldn't push the tap there. 
I don't know why, he later said. So in the summer of 2005, Victor took this trip roughly 15 times with his gun prepped to shoot, so it's kind of impossible to imagine how many tens or perhaps hundreds of people narrowly escaped death and had no idea about it. And because he's quite a unique-looking guy, he might have stuck in your mind, in your memory, so when, when his later crimes come to life, or come to light, you would think, oh, my God, I recognise that guy. I was sat opposite him on the train. I think so. I think and so. And it reminds me a little bit of the episode I did, Mass Murder in the Skies, a few weeks ago. Oh, that was chilling. It really was, and that the pilot, it was like a pilot murder-suicide, uh, for those that haven't listened to it yet, but the pilot had actually done a dry run of crashing the plane and killing everyone on board on his trip over to Barcelona, and it was on the trip back from Barcelona later that day that he then put the plan into action. So all of those people on the initial flight had a really lucky escape, and they would have known that afterwards. People who will probably have like PTSD from the events, even though they didn't even happen to them. Absolutely, yeah. So Victor had to change his plans. So this is when he scoped out the town of Nedgogitska, which is about two and a half hours drive away from Prague. He visited the town twice and he decided that the forest was going to be the best place to strike. Bizarrely, considering he'd read so many detective novels, Victor didn't try and stay under the radar and he was noticed by locals. This is why I kind of mentioned how small that town is. A stranger is going to stick out like a sore thumb. Mm, of course, yeah. Yeah. Confectioner Emily Zelina remembered him and she said after seeing Victor on TV that he had sat with her and her friends in what I assume was a cafe or a restaurant because her quote was... He sat with us the day before the murder. I don't know exactly what he had then, but he was sitting at the last table. He said nothing, he just looked. He had terrible eyes, he actually looked like a murderer. Now, again, I do think that is a little bit of you... Hindsight. Yeah, projecting. But then I do think some people just really do stick out and they stick in your mind for all the wrong reasons. And when you look at pictures of him, he does have really dark eyes and he's got a real dark look about him. A dark look. I love it. It's so hard to explain, but he just doesn't look like a nice person. Some people almost look like disturbed, don't they? Yeah. So Thursday the 13th of October 2005 was the day that Victor acted. He waited near to a wooded hill and just sort of hung around just waiting for somebody to come past he kind of wasn't going to be picky a bit like on the metro he'd just kill whoever he saw so there was an older couple called francisek and bozinha and they had lunch with their son before they were going to head out and fetch brushwood it's a really chilling sort of part to this story but they didn't normally have lunch with their son and for some reason that day they all decided to eat together that's weird yeah yeah I wasn't able to clarify the son's name because I got really confused with what his first name or his surname was and it was kind of reported differently in loads of different places. So I will just call him their son. But he said, as a quote, I normally take my food with me to my room, but not that day. It's strange, but when I think about it, like something tells me to have lunch with them then. I had no idea it would be the last time I see them alive. How sad is that? That, I was just going to say that is so sad. Um, And there was... 
a whole article from his point of view talking about that day and what they got up to and how he felt. After lunch, he helped his mum clear the table and then he headed back to work at the sawmill. His parents got their two-wheeler out of the shed and they just headed into the woods. Is a two-wheeler like a really bad translation of a bike? (laughs) No, loads of people call it a two-wheeler. Like, um, Like, yeah, like a cart that you pull along with that's got two wheels. Oh, okay, yeah, I sort of understand. Oh, I thought it's quite, I think I've heard of it before. I've never heard of that, no. Have you not? Because like a four-wheeler is like a trike that you ride on, like a, not a trike, that's three, but (laughs) a four-wheeler is like a a A bike with four wheels. (laughs) Okay. I'll send you some pictures of vehicles, Mark, and we'll teach you. Shall we get some on socials as well? I'll put some on social media just to explain what I mean. (laughs) Please do, yeah. So... Victor was waiting and he just didn't care who he, who he was going to kill. But as soon as he saw the, the older couple arrive, he just fired. He fired at their chests and then when they fell to the ground, he came closer and he shot them in the head. He didn't take anything from the bodies and he got back into his car and just went home. Later that day, a mushroom picker discovered the bodies in the forest and then the couple's son was called. He identified his parents at the scene and he's been quoted as saying, they did nothing to anyone, still the killer shot them like some beast. So basically the town was on high alert at this point. The police began to investigate and people were avoiding the forest. They didn't let their children walk home from school alone. People were staying home as soon as it got dark and everyone was terrified by the idea of this forest killer as he Which was I understand known. though, yeah. Gotcha. I think like when um, there's somebody out on the loose anyway, that's horrific, you're going to be fearful of your life. But I think when it's the nature of like random attacks, you know that anybody could be a target. So you've got no control over really how you live your life, the type of person that you are. You could be next as much as anyone yeah exactly and these this older couple who were really well known in the town and quite well loved were just executed and left there as well it's and horrendous. it it's like a motiveless crime because yeah no and we know you love a motiveless crime i do love a motiveless murder mm-hmm. i mean i don't because they're just barbaric but the, the kind of concept of it is so interesting yeah i think we we did an episode um stuart ludlam i think mm-hmm. it was um, back in season two, go and check that out because that was a motiveless murder, and that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. It was a really interesting case for me because it is—it's just so chilling. I remember he was a guy that uh, the murderer was a guy that like um, weed in bottles and kept those bottles in his house. Oh, I uh, just and without without spoiling it too much, when they caught him, police found like hundreds of bottles of his own piss, which he'd kept. Why? Do- I mean, what we've the gone fuck over is that this about? before. We've done it before. We Just can't go over. Don't this again. pee in a bottle and keep it, please, people. If anyone does that, then they're definitely a murderer. I don't think we can say they're definitely a murderer. We can, Beth, but you need to can. look into them a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not normal. It's not good. It's not big. It's not clever. No. So three days later, Victor headed into the forest again, and then this time he shot a dog walker who was entrepreneur Yaroslav. Lendochi. Um, Please tell me he didn't shoot the dog. Do you know what? I cannot find any information about the dog. However, no no one says that the dog was killed, so I think the dog ran away. Let's just pretend it ran away. Well, that's what I think happened. He Victor fired at the man, and again he hit him in the body, first of all, which I guess is 
it's an easier target so he knows he can injure them and then with the older couple he then was able to re- reach up to them and hit, shoot them in the head with Yaroslav he actually managed to run um, oh. but Victor chased after him and he finished him off with two shots to the head as he ran away oh my god that's horrible that's Can absolutely horrible Ru- and, literally running for your life running for your life through a fucking forest as well oh, it's, it's, like, it's literally the nightmares are made of it really is that's why I think the dog got away because nobody mentions the dog ever anywhere else. And if he's and running away, would, yeah, and the dog would naturally run, and the dog could probably yeah. run a lot faster. So there we go. And it's a smaller that target, his... so I'm sure the dog was fine. Hope so. But Yaroslav, not. No. It was also reported, and some news reports do state that Victor had actually gone to the forest to kill himself after the first murders. He'd gone there to kill himself, but. The general belief is that that's quite unlikely and I don't believe that that's the truth because he tried to kill himself before. He's now got his, he's got his targets in mind. He's got his plan. He went there to go kill another person or people. That's it. I, I also think once you've killed already, it's obviously a lot easier to do it again. Yeah. And maybe he got a taste of it and he was trying to carry on the legacy of that woman that you talked about at the beginning of the episode. So... Um, you know, two people was never going to cut it for him. He was always, I guess, going to try and kill as many people as possible. Yeah. So it only took a couple of days for the police to track Victor down because not only had he made himself obvious in the town as a stranger, so loads and loads of people were able to give um, sort of reports on this man who'd been hanging around, he'd also driven to the forest in his mum's car. Oh, what an idiot. Both times. Oh, what a dick yeah so not only were there eyewitness reports of this car linked to this stranger but also it was caught on cctv and the gun he used the glock 34 was registered to him so the police were able to trace it trace the car and match the cartridges fired at both crime scenes and get his address where he was living with his mum so it was just ridiculous the police headed to slani and victor was arrested on the 20th of october 2005 So considering his intelligence and his love of detective novels, it is amazing the errors that he made. Three people were dead, but it could have been a lot worse. Oh my God, he he would have carried on and and literally killed hundreds of people if Mm -hmm. he could, because that was what he wanted to achieve, you know, carrying on the legacy of that woman. But I I also think, yeah, he was supposed to be clever. He was into true crime um, and detective novels and stuff. So he should have known what he was doing. Yeah. And I think we would if we did something. We're experts. So. We could plan the perfect crime, Bethan. Well, this is the thing. I don't think we'd necessarily plan the perfect one, but I think we'd have an idea of what not to do. Yeah. Do you know what I also love, by the way, is that you are not saying Olga Hepnerova because you don't want I, to say I'm it not wrong. saying it. I, d- I can't even remember her name, let alone <laughs> pronounce it. Hepnerova. That's that what woman. I'm pretty sure it is. It's <laughs> good enough. So the response of the town was kind of as expected. Shock and sadness from locals. One woman was quoted as saying, I would certainly introduce the death penalty and let the killer die very slowly. And she said of the older couple that had died, they had died by the hand of a monster who has nothing to look for in this world. Um, Hundreds of people attended their funerals and an elderly lady who'd known the older couple for years told the newspaper Sunday Lightning... It is a crazy tragedy, but it's good that the police hit the killer so quickly. 
Victor admitted to the murders in the trial in 2006 in June, but he refused to answer the judge when he was asked about the reasons for the shooting. He said, why do you ask me that? Absolutely unimportant. But it kind of isn't unimportant. Yeah, what dickhead. Of course it's important. The trial kind of showed Victor in a really strange light. He seemed to want the highest punishment. He showed no regret. He refused to speak to the judge and his only testimony had to be replayed from the interview room records because he refused to give evidence. So I I wonder if that's almost like his way of gaining some sort of control over the proceedings because a lot of what he did would have been about control, um, which he didn't really have in his life because it didn't work. So this was control and he was trying to gain control during the court proceedings. I think that's a really good point. and, And seeking the highest punishment possible is an example of martyrdom. Yeah. Which goes on to what that woman, in inverted commas, was also seeking to achieve. You can call it Olga. You can pronounce the word I could, Olga. I can do Olga. I can okay. do Olga, yeah. I think that's that's completely it. And I also think to go down in history, he needs to have the highest punishment as well. So yeah. it's all going to go towards being famous. I mean, which... if they still had the death penalty then, he would have lobbied for that mm-hmm. because, again, that brings a certain notoriety then to him and his crimes. Yeah. All the experts agreed that not only was Victor fully aware of his actions, but it was also unlikely that he would ever be re-socialised. He was sentenced to life in prison. Um, So his lawyers did argue for a reduction of this to a sentence of between 15 and 25 years instead, but that wasn't agreed to. And he was imprisoned at Vietnitska Valdice, which is... Well done. Valdice Prison, which is one of the country's toughest security prisons. In letters from prison, Victor finally confessed sort of to being inspired by Olga's crimes and the book that he'd read. And in his letters, he gave an insight into his mindset and the reasons behind everything he'd done. The final part of Victor's story is that on Sunday, September the 26th, two weeks after his 33rd birthday, He slit his wrists and killed himself and he was alone in his cell. Nobody was there to help save him. God, so how did he manage to slit his wrists in a really kind of notorious jail that's high security? I guess you've got bad people in there. You might be able to learn how to sharpen into a knife some sort of toothbrush or something, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be like a shank, a lamb shank. I I think they're called shanks. Don't think they're called lamb shanks. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I think it's just shank, isn't it? Yeah, just lamb shut shank's up, probably um, cockney rhyming slang for something else. <laughs> managed to get so far through an episode without oh, you being rude. <laughs> now we're back together. We've got to be filmed. I know exactly. So there you go, Mark. What did you think of today's case? Oh, really interesting. I'm I'm really proud of you for uh, venturing outside of the UK. Um, and not just to Ireland, the Republic of Ireland this time, like you did last time when you thought it was in the UK. Oh, we really shouldn't go there again. Because... It's because I forgot that it was in Ireland. I thought Dublin, I, I didn't think Ireland was part of the UK. Yeah, really proud that you've entered outside the UK. Well done. Um, Prague's not too far, uh, but maybe we'll get you a little bit further next time. I've got Australia involved oh, in my cases next time and you know, the been... USA. Excellent. I've been wanting to cover Australia for months and I've just, I don't but know, you every did, time I. because we what, went to the outback. Yeah, but I see, I argued at the time, didn't I? I said that is not an Australian case. That is a British case that just happened to happen on <laughs> Australian soil. 
We're not getting into this again. No, we, we argued a lot about that last time. But um, yeah, I really, really want to cover Australia. So I'm really pleased mm. that we've got one um, coming up. I'll be intrigued to know which one it is. Yeah, we've got quite a lot of listeners from Australia. So it'd be really nice to kind of give them a case from where they're from. Um, yeah, but definitely. don't worry, I have still got some UK cases involved. Good, because my, my intention when with this season was that obviously we were going to go global. Um, seasons one and two, we just focused on the UK I would argue exclusively. Um, but then I still find myself even now drawn predominantly back to the UK. I just find those crimes that happen close to home more interesting, more relatable. Um, so, yeah, despite me lobbying to go global, I've only done two cases that were abroad <laughs> and I, I keep wanting to do UK cases now. I think the difficulty is, is we know what we're talking about a lot more when we talk about the UK. And, and I think we know the areas, we can relate to them. Well, that's it. Like, trying to think about somewhere called Negogitska, which I don't know, or London, which I know, it's, it's always difficult to kind of... You can kind of envisage yourself being in that place a bit more, perhaps, if you've been there or if you've yeah, lived there. Yeah, I agree. You can picture yourself there. Mm. But there we go. Yeah, very interesting case. Really, Thank um. You. Uh, you know, I hate saying I enjoyed it, but, you know, we have that debate quite a bit. And I think we had it recently, um, maybe on um, Facebook. It was like a polite debate. But yeah, you know, obviously, we do enjoy yeah. true crime stories. Otherwise, we wouldn't even do this podcast and our listeners do enjoy it. But I think we it's came a really to difficult agreement, subject. We, that it, we're not saying we enjoy it in some sort of sick, perverse way. It, the episode has been an entertainment for us that we haven't turned it off after two minutes. So therefore, it was entertainment. So Yeah, I agree. I and you still okay empathise with the victims, but you, you're probably enjoying the learning elements, mm. learning things that you didn't know previously, I guess, and the, and the element of storytelling. So Yeah. Well, I'm really glad because my other half actually came up with the idea of, of looking at the Czech Republic for a case. I loved learning about a new country that I've not learned about before, and actually, it was a lot harder to research, having to get translated things and having to speak to someone about translations of and pronunciations I of words. I really enjoyed it. Next week, we are back in the UK. I have a case that takes us to Manchester and Cheshire. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to chat to us about the episode, don't forget you can email us. You can get in touch with us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. And also you can come and find us on Patreon. So patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. Or you can just Google Patreon and seeing red. Up to if you. If you're lazy. You can yeah. Google whatever you want. Oh, well, just... I don't know if you can. You can Google whatever you want, Mark. Well, you can. Of course you can. But <laughs> some of it's going to be illegal, isn't it? Some of it might not link you to the Seeing Red Facebook page if you don't type in anything about us. But yeah, or come and chat Patreon to us. Page. Let us know what you think of the episode. Yeah, please get in touch. And Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy 2020, guys. It's great to be back. It's great to be back together. And it's great to have you back joining us as well. There's 10,000 of you now every week listening to the show, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Really nice. That's amazing. Cool. On that note then, we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.